the Hargan women seem to have it all. From the outside looking in, we were blessed. My mom was amazing. But as detectives would soon learn, there was a lot going on inside the Hargan household. Ashley and I have been calling my mom and the house and Helen. No one's answering. 63-year-old Pamela Hargan gunned down in her own home. Her youngest daughter, Helen, lay dead upstairs. Patrol, when they arrived, assumed or thought that there might have been a murder-suicide. But for the detectives on the scene... There were things about the scene itself that were concerning to us on day one. Who would want to kill their mother and their little sister? There is no boogeyman here. It is exactly who we think it is. I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, wherever you get your podcasts. Every town has a dark side. Bone-chilling stories about haunted houses are usually rooted from the restless spirit of the dead house owner who can't seem to let go, or the troubled ghost of a person brutally murdered in the home. Some hauntings are traced from possessed or cursed objects like an antique jar, old painting, or vintage doll. But bunk beds are usually pretty far down this list. Still, though, The Tallman family from Wisconsin experienced nine months of horror when they transferred to a new house back in 1987, and it all started when the family bought a second-hand set of bunk beds. From paranormal visions to disembodied voices and shocking apparitions, the terrors of the haunting will never be forgotten by the Tallman family. I'm Andrew Fitzgerald, and welcome to this week's episode of Everytown, which will bring us to the small settlement of Horicon in Wisconsin. The plot, the twists, and the evilness may appear to have been lifted straight from a horror movie, but the unsolved horrors of the Tallman House bunk beds is a certified true story. On April 13, 1986, the Tallman family, consisting of husband and wife Alan and Deborah, or Debbie, and their two children made a life-changing decision by moving into what they thought was their ideal home. They had just bought a house in a new development on Larrabee Street in Horicon, Wisconsin. It was called The City on the Marsh, in Dodge County with a population of just a little over 3,500 back in the 1980s. They bought the house with a low-interest Farmers Home Administration loan. Alan had taken a job as a shift supervisor at a manufacturing plant, which would often require him working until late at night, while Debbie stayed home with the children. They had a seven-year-old boy, whom we shall call Danny, who was Debbie's son from a previous relationship, and a two-year-old girl, Marianne. 
At the time they moved into the new house, Debbie was expecting her third child. The Tallman couple were Wisconsin natives and had plenty of relatives around the area of Horicon. In the beginning, things seemed to be going smooth for the family, but soon enough, unpleasant things started to unravel in the Tallman family home. Alan and Debbie found themselves arguing over trivial things. On the last stretch of her pregnancy, Debbie fell ill and was advised to get rest. So her mother and sister would come over to help out. But both of them didn't like the vibes of the house and couldn't wait to get home. In fact, Debbie's sister also got ill after visiting her. Mrs. Tallman gave birth to a baby girl in November of 1986, and for this story, we'll refer to her as Sarah. The eeriness in the house was also felt by the kitten purchased by the family. She would seem to go insane, zooming across the living room and climbing up the door, which usually occurred at around sunset. Alan shut the cat in the bathroom, but... It would still howl. And one night after Alan let the cat out of the bathroom, she went crazy again and hung from the plaster of the wall in the living room. And soon after that, the cat ran away. However, that was just the base. The really terrifying paranormal instances started in February of 1987. The family bought a second-hand set of bunk beds that cost $100 for their growing family. And very strangely, undesirable events happened one after the other to every single family member. Alan and Debbie assembled the bunk beds and, for the meantime, stored them in their basement while fixing the bedrooms in the house. A few days after, the children, who were normally healthy, started getting ill for no apparent reason. Alan and Debbie considered it unusual because months and even years prior, they rarely had any health problems at all. But Debbie was now bringing the kids to the doctor multiple times a week, and at times all three of them would be seeing the physician in the same week. Three months later... The bunk beds were brought upstairs to the room adjacent to the one occupied by the eldest child, Danny. Then when Sarah was seven months old, Alan and Deborah moved her and older daughter, Marianne, into a room together, and the girls shared those bunk beds. They took over Danny's old room and moved into a smaller bedroom. And on that night, after the parents said goodnight to Danny, the young boy was falling asleep when he witnessed the clock radio on his bedside table take on a life of its own as the dial of the radio moved from one side to the other. He watched as it turned on randomly and switched between channels on its own. Danny ran out of his room to tell Alan and Debbie, who were still up in the living room, but 
They dismissed it as the product of their son's imagination and a malfunction of the radio. They removed the radio from his room and sent him back to sleep. At that point, most likely never crossed the minds of the Tallman couple that it was a paranormal act until a few weeks later. Alan was painting the basement walls when Debbie called him to take a break for lunch upstairs. So he laid the paintbrush on the pan, knowing he would soon return to work. When he returned, though, the paintbrush was inside the paint bucket, handled down and bristles up. No one else had gone down to the basement while he was gone. Although unexplained, he brushed it away, not willing to accept the idea that there was something in his house. As he would continue to work, he then thought he saw the glimpse of a shadow flicker across the basement. After that, he stopped what he was doing. The basement seemed a favorite spot for hauntings when, in another instance, the window was mysteriously removed and left on the floor. It appeared to be a break-in, but no valuables had been taken, including Alan's expensive hunting rifles. Also, anyone coming into the basement had to use a chair to get in and out of the window, but surprisingly, no furniture was displaced. Deborah became too scared to go down to the basement after that. The family bought a dog following this for security, and he too acted strangely, though remained with the family, unlike the cat that left. The terrors continued, and even those who didn't permanently live in the Tallman's house had their own paranormal experiences. One night, Alan and Debbie were out on the town and were met with shock when they got home. The babysitter they had hired for the night claimed that she and Danny witnessed a rocking chair move by itself while they played a game in the kitchen. This was confirmed by Danny who had twice experienced such strange things in their house. Even Alan's mother also had a significant encounter when she had to look after her grandchildren because Debbie brought Alan to the hospital due to a bad sinus infection. Like Debbie's mother, Alan's mom also didn't like the house on Larrabee Street. While looking after the kids, the older Mrs. Tallman had dozed off in the living room couch when her sights were set at the window looking at a pair of red eyes staring back at her. They were still there after she had blinked. When Alan and Debbie came back home, Alan's mom told him of what she had seen and left the house as quickly as possible. And the claim of Alan's mother probably was true because his two-year-old toddler, Sarah, also had a similar and even worse encounter. As she was sleeping on the bunk bed, she said that she had seen a red-eyed witch behind the door. Sarah also claimed her room was set on fire by the witch, but the fire would disappear shortly after. Debbie believed the red-eyed woman was a witch, but also had her doubts thinking that it could have been Sarah's imagination at work. 
The mother of three finally believed it was true, though, when a month later, Danny screamed in the middle of the night and reported seeing the same woman with glowing red eyes as if she was on fire. By mid-1987, all of the children were having difficulty sleeping and would always awake their parents and refuse to sleep for a long time. Marianne had apparently gained an imaginary friend whom she would talk to, which soon turned into nightmares that scared her. That period had been unpredictable. Peace would reign for a week before another time of interrupted sleep due to the children's problems and Deborah and Alan fighting. Alan later attributed his behavior to the mysterious entity in the house, and Debbie also began noticing things around the house, such as the garage door opening by itself, and she began to suffer nightmares, which she was never prone to previously, but they seriously frightened her. After these tormenting events happened at their house, Alan and Deborah decided to ask Reverend Pastor Wayne Dobritz to inspect their house. When he went inside, he immediately felt an evil presence and that the sinister things that had happened were the work of the devil. He asked if any of them had been playing with a Ouija board or had held a seance. He also suggested the family may have been cursed. Pastor Dobritz encouraged the Tallman family to attend church service regularly to combat the evil spirits, but what happened was on the contrary. The angry spirits became more antagonistic towards the family and continued to torment them after the pastor had visited. The family now began hearing voices throughout the house. Doors were banging, open and closed at all hours of the night, and the children were being visited more often by the burning witch. And then, just before Christmas in 1987, Danny saw an apparition of a small, hideous old woman while he was sleeping. His screams woke up his parents, and both of them couldn't go back to sleep that night. The Tallman couple was in disbelief that this was the work of the devil, as Deborah didn't think God worked in this way. However, they did go to church, as ordered by the pastor, who also blessed the house. The family also played religious music and said prayers at Pastor Dobrit's suggestion. After quite some time, everything was quiet. That is, until a few days before Christmas. Danny again saw the apparition of the old woman while sleeping in the living room, where he had been staying because of his serious fear to sleep in his own room. By this time, the children were too scared to be alone without their mother and followed her everywhere, including the bathroom. Every night was bedlam, as the children were so scared. One night, Alan had had enough and screamed at whatever it was to leave his kids alone and pick on him instead. 
and apparently the spirits heard him loud and clear and took on his challenge. A few weeks later, on January 7, 1988, at around 2 a.m., Alan came home from a late-night shift. Outside the garage, he heard an eerie howling sound and went to investigate. Then, a voice came out from the howling sound, telling Alan, Come here. He turned around to see if there was somebody, but no one was there. When Alan went back to the garage, he saw that it was on fire, so he went inside the house to get the extinguisher. When he got back to the garage, the fire was completely gone. Surprisingly, the garage door was intact and didn't seem damaged at all from this supposed fire. When Alan went back inside, he reached for his lunch pail that he had set down, but the entity then threw it across the room. Alan couldn't do anything to battle the unseen force. With no other choice, he made his way to his daughter's room to sleep. He'd been sleeping on the floor near their bed to help the girls sleep through the night as they were terrified to do so alone. But the spirit of the witch wasn't done with Alan just yet. Later on that night, he awoke to a fog filling the room, and a voice sounded through it. A small apparition with red eyes was staring at Mr. Tallman and saying, You're dead. Alan ran out of the room, terrified, feeling like he was having a heart attack. He couldn't speak a word to Debbie and just started to weep. So she called the pastor to come over quickly. When he arrived, the family was in chaos. The girls were upset at the sight of their dad crying, though they didn't see exactly what had happened. The pastor urged them to leave and stay with Debbie's family that evening. The following night, the Tallmans returned home and the pastor came over to lead them in prayer and communion. Alan had to work late again, so... He asked his teenage nephew to help babysit for the kids. He was skeptical about the paranormal tales he had heard from the Tallman family. And things were okay as he played with his cousins before the kids went to bed. The teenage boy lay on the floor of the girls' room, reading them stories to help them fall asleep. However, the same apparition that had visited Alan reappeared to his nephew causing him to then become hysterical. Then he told his mother that the apparition was in the girls' room. Immediately, Deborah threw things into her bag, rounded up the family, and left the house. They then arrived outside Alan's office, and Deborah refused to go back to their house. It didn't take long for the Horicon police chief, Doug Glamon, to get wind of what was happening in the Tallman house. 
He conducted an investigation himself, spoke to the family, and was convinced of their tales because Alan and the family were consistent with their statements. His rumors quickly grew around the neighborhood from absurd stories to half-truths. Authorities also received threats to burn down the haunted house. Alarmed, the police chief convinced the Tallmans to talk to a few press people and set the record straight once and for all. Two weeks later, the Tallmans had the bunk beds destroyed and disposed of, and Debbie said, The beds were buried in a landfill where nobody will ever build. They took them out there and plowed them under. Afterwards, the Tallmans had no further paranormal experiences. They sold the house and left Horicon altogether. In April of 1988, a family moved into the Tallman's old home and have had no haunting experiences. Neither did the Tallman family experience paranormal activities at their new abode. During further investigations, the Committee for the Scientific Investigation of the Paranormal believed the Tallman's were being affected by a gas leak that caused hallucinations bolstered by the fact that the Wisconsin Power and Light Company had to replace faulty gas fittings in several homes in the area, but the Tallman home wasn't one of them. So why did the hauntings really start when the Tallmans bought the bunk beds and stop when they buried them? There's been no information about the origin of the bunk beds or their previous owners. So in the end, we may never actually know what happened at the Tallman house, but What we definitely know is sometimes a dream home can become a house of nightmares. So that's going to do it, guys, for this week's episode of Every Town. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you want to watch these episodes, go check out our YouTube channel called Scary Mysteries. Over there, we also have other videos we think you guys will like. Thanks for listening, and tune in next week for another episode filled with scary, strange, and mysterious stories. Because who knows, maybe your town will be next. Next.